You're listening to the summary of the interview. For a link to the full-length episode, please check the description below. Welcome to another episode of Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, a podcast show where I talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land, grow our food and what we eat. And it's time that we as investors, big and small and consumers, start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. Before we get started, I've been recording these interviews next to my day job and I will definitely continue to do so and release about an episode a month. But at the same time, I would love to take this further, share more interviews. There are many more stories to share on investing in regenerative food and agriculture. More depth, improve the quality, maybe even doing some video series. So I started a Patreon community, which makes it easy to support creators like myself. If these podcasts have been of value to you, and if you have the means, I invite you to support me and make this happen. For more information, please find the link to my Patreon account in the description below. And now, without further ado, the interview. Enjoy! Welcome to another episode of Investing in Regenerative Agriculture. Today I'm joined by Brian von Herzen, Executive Director of the Climate Foundation and the original founder of the Marine Permaculture Movement. We realized even in the early 2000s that we had to do something sustainable uh, to try to address this uh, exponential increase in melting. And that led me to do a sabbatical in Woods Hole uh, in studying uh, algae uh, biology and carbon biogeochemistry. And then beyond that, to really consider how can we enlist life to help us rebalance carbon in our seas and in our soils. Why is that connection between the mountains and the sea so important? The mountains help the sea and the sea helps the mountains, or I should say the soils. Um, so I just finished giving a talk here in Morocco where I was visiting uh, with the government and we met with um, some of the agriculture and some of the aquaculture uh, groups here and agencies. And it was very interesting because I spoke about my home state of California, where we've studied the kelp forests. And you know, there's a shifting baseline. No one has a living memory of the kelp forests that were off the coast of California in the mid 1800s. But we went back and did the research to find the original US geodetic survey maps from 18 50s, 1860s, 1880s, which showed a river of a kelp, a kilometer wide, extending from Point Concepcion, hundreds of kilometers all the way past the border with Mexico. And this was a continuous river of kelp between 10 and 25 meters depth that was uh, covering the coastline. And it was this incredible bounty of nature. Now, what happened was in the early 1900s, we had uh, development of farming, uh, urbanization, but primarily the loss of soil and runoff that went into the sea because of standard farming practices and that was exacerbated later. And between the silt and the nutrients, um, the visibility in the water dropped precipitously. And this actually choked off the juvenile kelp from growing from a depth of 25 meters to the surface. If they don't have enough sunlight, they can't grow all the way to the surface. If they can't grow, they don't survive. And so we lost the deep kelps and we lost some of the middle kelps 
And so now we only have a small remnant of the forest that once was. And so this is how our, our farming practices can affect our, the sea and the sea clarity. And so if we do less runoff and more regenerative farming, we can actually have a much clearer ocean. And then conversely, the seaweeds have this incredible input, a catalytic input almost, on the growth of crops, both as a soil amendment and also as a seaweed foliar biostimulant. And in several other ways, uh, for example, as a feed supplement for ruminant livestock, it can cut most of the methane of the enteric emissions of ruminant livestock. So there's so many ways that the seed gives back to the farm and gives back to the soil. And I think it's a, a full circle, a circular value chain, if you will. What we're noticing is that seaweed does a fantastic job of increasing the stress resistance of the plants. And that includes resistance to heat, resistance to drought, and resistance to disease. And this, you know, all, all crops have some amount of stress. But when we get into a global warming situation, the amount of heat stress and the amount of drought becomes severe. And, some, and the seaweeds have been able to confer stress resistance to these crops very substantially. I think, you know, uh, seaweed as a nutraceutical is, has been absolutely amazing. I just uh, finished meeting with some researchers in Europe that um, have studied the uh, effects of seaweed for, uh, for many diseases. One study uh, I saw uh, in the U.S. that was about Asia showed, of course, on a countrywide basis, about seven times less breast cancer in countries like Thailand and Japan. And furthermore, in a mouse model for breast cancer, they observed 10 to 20 times lower tumor incidence in breast cancer when a small amount of seaweed was added to the water supply of these mice. And that was uh, very substantial because otherwise the diets were identical. And so they were able to reproduce this uh, cancer uh, effectiveness uh, with the, the seaweed. And as the oceans warm, 93% of global warming is going into the oceans. We create this stratified layer of water, and that forms a uh, barrier to the upwelling that provides nutrients to algae. And so the normal amount of offshore winds would normally bring the water up to the surface and cause the overturning circulation and enable the seaweed to grow. And that gets shut down when the ocean gets too warm. We look to, you know, in the tropics to use marine solar energy, also waves in the ocean, uh, and even wind energy in the higher latitudes to restore overturning circulation. We have pipes that come up from below the thermocline. We can provide up to a million cubic meters of seawater per day to a larger um, seaweed permaculture and effectively uh, enable the irrigation uh, 12 months a year of a seaweed forest and enable it to grow at least as much as it did under natural conditions. Yes, marine permaculture irrigation is a new product for an existing market. It's over a $10 billion industry already in Asia, and we see huge opportunities to develop these technologies further for regions of Europe, including the Mediterranean, uh, including uh, the, the tropical Atlantic and tropical and subtropical Pacific Oceans. Well, I think uh, there's a key opportunity and that is developing new products for existing industries. And that's one reason we've been doing a lot of work on uh, irrigation and seaweed farms. But beyond that, uh, we're looking at a $350 billion agricultural input market, a $600 billion nutraceutical market, 
and an $800 billion cosmetics market. And seaweed has a central role to play in all of those. We find time and again, we're supply limited as to how much kelp, how much red seaweed we can actually produce. Uh, there's a global shortage of Kapafika seaweed, for example, and the prices have doubled over the last uh, year or two. What do you see as the biggest risk? Well, in the Americas today, and perhaps in Europe as well, there are some regions near shore that occasionally have harmful algal blooms. And if there were harmful algal blooms already occurring, then a marine permaculture upwelling operation could potentially exacerbate those. So we need to monitor for the presence or growth of harmful algal blooms upstream and then uh, monitor downstream as well. And if there's a situation where there's an exacerbation or some, a problem is getting worse, then the marine permaculture can be turned off and then uh, that would remove the uh, increase of the harmful algal bloom. So we see this as a big opportunity in the fact that seaweed as an organic feed supplement at a, at a level of one to 10% of the, um, of the feed is able to eliminate most of the enteric emissions of ruminant livestock is extremely significant. Just listen to the summary of the interview. For the full-length interview, please find the link in the description below. If you found the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast valuable, there are a few simple ways you can use to support it. Number one, rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. That's the best way for other listeners to find the podcast, and it only takes a few seconds. Number two, share this podcast on social media or email it to your friends and colleagues. Number three, if this podcast has been of value to you, and if you have the means, please join my Patreon community to help grow this platform and allow me to take it further. You can find all the details on patreon.com slash regenerative agriculture or in the description below. Thank you so much and see you at the next podcast.